All right, if you flip your bulletin back over, we are in week three of a series called Clean Living in a Dirty World. Pastor Steve started us off on this series two weeks ago, and we asked this question, can we exist in a very dirty culture and live a clean life? And we've been looking at the Old Testament book of Daniel to do this. Now, what Pastor Steve had talked to us about is God has brought them somewhere. So, so God brought Daniel to somewhere, namely it was Babylon, and we'll go into that a little bit more in depth. And he needed vision to see beyond it, because Babylon was an evil place. So they needed vision, and, and that was, you're brought somewhere, you need vision to see beyond it. And then, he, you were called there to do something. So we're all called to do great things in Christ. You know, there's no book of mediocrity in the Bible, you're not going to see anything, well, Jesus did it was okay. No, we're all called to do something great, and, and that's where um, it came in, and he needed influence. He needed to, to gain influence, and he did that by humbling himself and being a great servant, and that's how he did something. Today, we're going to look at the somehow. In other words, somehow, you have to survive that. Somehow, you have to get strength, and that's what we're looking at. The strength is the somehow. So, let's recap. Oh, before I forget... You do not want to miss next week. You can't miss next week. Uh, Pastor John's going to be wrapping things up with protection. And he's going to be talking to us about uh, the book of Daniel where he was thrown in the lion's den. It is an awesome story. Uh, if you grew up in church, then you know it. Um, if you haven't, then you don't want to miss it. it it'll be even more exciting. Um, so let's recap. Pastor Steve talked to us. Uh, Jerusalem has been conquered by the Babylonians. Uh, their ruler is the evil king Nebuchadnezzar. They went in and uh, destroyed the city. The, they estimate at the time of the, the conquest about 75,000 people lived in Jerusalem. Of those, 18,000 were deported to Babylon. These were the cream of the crop, the best of the best. Uh, the rest of them were mostly slaughtered or viewed as so weak that they'll just die at some point. Um, so of these people was Daniel, who we're looking at the book of Daniel, and his buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the first thing that you do to to take care of people, is you take away their identity. And that's what the Babylonians did. Okay, we got these guys. They're good. We need more people. We need good people. So let's take away their identity. So they became known as, Daniel was Belteshazzar, Hananiah was Shadrach, Mishael was Meshach, and uh, Azariah was Abednego. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in this book, this story that we're going to talk about, nobody knows where Daniel was. Some people think Daniel was in the distance watching. Some people think he wasn't there. It's not really important. We know that he knew about it because he put it in the book of Daniel. So that kind of makes sense uh, to us. So now where these guys are in their, in their conquest is their names were changed. They were brought back to Babylon. And for three years, they went to school. They went to school learning Babylonian culture, Babylonian language, and they got to learn about their, their satanic religion, and they got to be slaves, essentially, for one of the most evil men on the face of the earth, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's what I know. I know if you're going to college and you just graduated high school, even if you didn't get in the, right, the best college or the college that you wanted, you're better off than these guys. And if you graduated and you're working a job for minimum wage, you're still in better shape than these guys, believe me. And... Uh, I think, I think where we should start is, I, I think Mike Tyson said it best. There's, there's a statement that you don't, you don't ever want to hear, really. You're like, Mike Tyson said what best? But no, Mike Tyson said it best, and he said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's where our guys are right now. It, isn't that the thing? You know, they've had some really, really bad things happen. They're kind of settled in. Everything's good. They graduated school. Now they're serving. 
And uh, now they need to find the somehow to get through where they're serving. So let's pick up this story. Uh, by the way, we should, we should note before we start talking about these guys, these guys are 15 to 18 years old. They're, they're essentially boys. They're just boys, literally, in life. And uh, it just goes to show that uh, God does choose the foolish things of this earth to shame the wise, and he chooses the weak to shame the strong. So we'll keep that in the back of our mind. So I'm going to paraphrase. Please read um, this story on your own, because I'm going to paraphrase throughout here, because it's a long story. But so Nebuchadnezzar, left to his own undoing, he is a a reincarnated God. He is the man in his world. Incidentally, uh, Saddam Hussein thought that he was Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated. So it's kind of interesting how power corrupts people, isn't it? So King Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't have, he wanted to put something up there so everybody reminded, was reminded of him and so everybody would worship him because he was the biggest thing on this earth. So he created a statue out on the plains of Dora which was outside of Babylon because they don't think that enough people could fit in the, the town square in Babylon to, to truly worship. So he builds a statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, sets it up in the plain and then he says, well, I'm going to have the band play. So the band's going to play. You're going to bow down, worship me. Everybody's good. Everybody serves evil King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you don't, this is where you know he's a really bad dude. If you don't, you are going to be thrown into a blazing furnace immediately. So now this is the time where we got to really look at King Nebuchadnezzar. Does anybody like bad guys in movies? Like, I'm not saying you like them, but... You like a good bad guy, and a good bad guy is somebody that you eventually want to see die in the end, right? That's basically what you want to see as a bad guy. You want your hatred just builds and builds and builds, and then in the end, you just want to see him done. Uh, well, Nebuchadnezzar's a bad guy, but because of the things he did, he's more like a horror movie bad guy. Now, I don't watch horror movies anymore, mostly because I have three kids under the age of nine. And that's horror enough for me. Is anybody else with me? That's, is that horror enough for you? You know, the, the phrase that, that I dread the most is, Daddy, what's this? And I don't know what's, where that's going. I don't know where it's going. And if it's coming out of the bathroom, I'm telling my wife that the kids want you. <laughs> because, I, because I ain't looking at it. So now, when, when I did watch movies, which was quite some time ago, the bad guys were Jason. You remember Jason, Friday the 13th? Machete, machete, weapon of choice. He'd walk, never run, always walk, and he'd always get everybody. And then you had like Michael Myers from Halloween. You remember he had a butcher knife? Again, not overly creative, but he would always get you. Never broke a sweat, never ran. Um, but I always got, I always thought the freakiest was Freddy Krueger. And, and here's the reason: is because he could get you in both the dream world and the real world. You know, and that's kind of freaky to think. I think that's a lot like our evil King Nebuchadnezzar, because I think when you're surrounded by this evil. I really, really believe that when, when people thought that they were getting away from him in their dreams, he was still there. And then they woke up, and he was there again. And, and the thing that separates him from Freddy Krueger is he was real. You know, Freddy Krueger's just made up. He's just Hollywood. This guy, this guy's real. Now, to truly understand how evil he is, we're going to look at the conquest of, of uh, Jerusalem. So you can look at, at 2 Kings 25. King Nebuchadnezzar goes into, goes into Jerusalem. Now, I believe at this time, he had enough power. He had enough, of, he had enough army. He had enough guys. I think he could have just blown through the front walls, went in, took everything. But not our king. That, that's not his style. So he besieges it. He surrounds it. Nothing goes in. Nothing comes out. Nothing. If it does, it, 
it dies. If it comes out, it dies, and nothing goes in. Now, I don't know what your house is like, but they estimate that this, this siege was somewhere between 18 and 30 months long. 18 to 30 months. How much food you got in your house? I don't have 18 to 30 months. How much food you got in Limerick? I, I, don't, I don't have it. Um, and neither did they. There's, there's actually accounts of, of cannibalism and, and horrible things in this time because they had nothing inside the city and they just watched them wither, wither. And in my mind too, I think that's how he kind of weeded out who the weak were and then he could zero in on the strong ones when he got in there. So he finally gives the orders. Go ahead, guys. They go in. I imagine it probably was pretty much of a joke of a fight. And he gets in there and he wants one thing. He tells these guys, go get every treasure you can, you know, just raise the city, burn it up, it doesn't matter what it is, just level it. I want one thing. I want King Zedekiah. See, King Zedekiah was put in power by Nebuchadnezzar. He was a puppet. So he said, I'm going to throw a puppet in there, he's going to control everything for me, and then I'm good. Well, King Zedekiah, he became a bigwig in his own mind, like a lot of people with power, right? We've seen it. And he started to talk with the Egyptians who were the arch enemies of the Babylonians. Well, it eventually gets back to, to King Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't it? So he says, bring me Zedekiah. Unfortunately, Zedekiah wasn't there. So he tracks them down because, you know, keep in mind, this is, this is a horror movie guy. He tracks them down, finds them, and what does he do? He takes his sons and he slaughters his sons in front of them, saying, they're there is your lineage here on earth. See, see, in a Jewish culture, his sons were so important. That was, his, that was everything. That was his lineage out in front. That was his name. Well, there, it's gone. And then he takes them, and, and he gouges his eyes out. And I believe the way they used to do it was they, take, they used the thumbs, and he gouges his eyes out. So the last thing you see in this world is your sons, your family, your lineage. It's gone. I took it all. And you know what I'd love to tell you? And this is going to sound weird, but I'd love to tell you that Nebuchadnezzar killed him then, but he didn't. He kept them healthy. He took them back to Babylon, and what he would do is, the kings that he, he conquered, he would line them all up, and he'd, he'd keep them well-fed, he'd put them in their robes, and he'd line them up when he had big, important dinners, and he'd just stand there and watch them. And he'd put it, who can, who can stand before Nebuchadnezzar? Look, I conquer kings everywhere. He's a bad dude. Are you with me? With me? He's a bad dude. Can we agree on that, church? The one thing, knowing who Nebuchadnezzar was, the thing that drove me nuts was the furnace. Okay, furnaces get hot enough that it actually takes all the oxygen out, so you actually suffocate. So the furnace, I'm like, he's so evil that it just, you know, the fire just kind of seems, eh. See, the crazy thing about the furnace was, in the Jewish culture, the final desert, if you ever wanted to, to really get somebody, is you desecrate the body. And of that, the law said that you, you did not want to burn the bones, that you wanted to preserve the body, you wanted to put the body in the ground so that there could be a resurrection of the dead one day. So here, here's what the fire says. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar's saying. You don't have to follow me. You don't have to bow down. You don't have to do any of that. But with your last act of defiance against me, you're going to go against the law of your God and you're going to give up eternity. If there ever would be an eternity, you're, it's all gone. It's gone. He's a bad dude. Can we agree on that? He's a bad dude, church. And uh, here's the thing about evil. 
See, everything Nebuchadnezzar did was, was so that he had fear. And, and what evil of this world wants us to do is they want to lead us into a place where there seems no way out. There's no way out. And then what happens is fear controls us. Fear controls us. Everybody knew Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody knew what he did. And everybody, everybody was afraid of him. And that's how he had control. So uh, let's see what happens in our story here. So the band starts kicking up. Band's playing. Everybody bows down. Three guys did not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Standing up. All right. The 200,000 people. They were probably way off in the back. Not bad. Well, everybody has a teacher's pet, right? So does Nebuchadnezzar. They run back to him. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. These guys that you put in, they're really good guys that you put up there. Incidentally, they probably wanted their jobs. These guys didn't bow down to you. They're, they're not worshiping you. So Nebuchadnezzar, bring them here. And it, I said it, has officially hit the fan. Or, as Iron Mike says, they've been punched in the face. So now, now they've got to make a decision. And this is where I believe, this is where I believe they were empowered. And, and I think that, see, fear... Is a, if anybody ever had a management course or anything or had a boss, a really mean boss, you know fear is a really good motivator. Fear is a really, really good motivator. It'll grab you. It'll hold you. But the thing is, is it, it's a temporary motivator because once you overcome the fear, then there's nothing. And here's what these guys, I believe, realized, that if fear drives our decisions, we will always be running from someone or something. If fear drives our decision... We will always be running from someone or something. Who dies in horror movies? Isn't it the idiots that start running? Isn't it always those guys? They start running. They'll bounce off the chest of the bad guy. He'll be standing over. That was easy. (laughs) Right? It's always the people who run. Who beats the bad guys? Isn't that people who can't take the fear anymore? They just can't stand the fear anymore. They're so, I love, I used to love when they were all tired and finally I stand, all I can stand, I can't stand no more. And then they turn and they stop and they dig their heels in. And they're the ones that are making their own decisions. It's not controlling them and they beat fear. So let's see what our boys do. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the images of gold I've or the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the band, I'm just paraphrasing, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I control you, I control you, I control you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, still give him respect, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar has no control. None. It's gone. There's no fear. There's no fear left. So what's the face of evil do? Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He lost all control. He's got nothing. 
was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Here's what I know about this world. You're either entering the fire, you're in the fire, or you're coming out of the fire. So I want to look at the strength, how you find strength at each aspect of that. Entering the fire, these boys had faith. I mean, faith is the strength to enter the fire. And what they had that that was even more special was they had each other. I don't know why I keep coming back to horror movies. I swear I don't watch them anymore. But uh, isn't it always more fun to watch something scary with with another person? Don't you always find yourself just a little more empowered? Like you have a little, you just have somebody there. Well, these guys had all three of them. They had all, all three of them were there. And here's what I think. I don't think it was a situation where they went out there, they said to bow down, and one of them was like, I don't know, you going to stand up? You going to stand up? I don't know if I'm going to stand up. You going to stand up? I don't, how about you? You going to stand up? I think they just stood there. I think they stood there. I don't even know if they looked over their shoulder to see if the other one, they knew exactly where they would be. They knew exactly where their faith were, was. And, uh, and this is something that, that's so important proverbs the the wisest man that ever lived solomon said a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity he went on to say later in in proverbs as iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another these guys were so strengthened by each other they knew for a second not one of them was dragging each other up here's what i know about friends if you got to drag somebody up to the furnace with you then when it comes time to actually fall in they're either running, they are running. And here's what happens. They run because they don't have the faith you do. And then you have one of two choices. You either run right behind them, which is where a lot of us land or have landed. You run right behind them or you fall into the fire alone. And that, that is even harder. They had clarity in, in, in who God was. You know, Pastor Steve talked about the vision See, these guys, they never doubted who God was. See, there's a saying I read, the two most dangerous men in the world are those that have everything to fight for or nothing to lose. These boys were dangerous, not because they had nothing to lose. See, they felt God put them exactly where he wanted them to do exactly what they were supposed to do. And they had faith that somehow... He would get them through. They had faith. That was their strength. That somehow he would get them through. Uh, Revelations 2.10 says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested. Be faithful. Be faithful, church, until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. If, If we believe in God... and we know that he is all-powerful, then the victory is always his. He can't be beaten. This is is a victory mindset. This is, they're coming from victory. No matter what happens to us, even if 
our God doesn't, Nebuchadnezzar. We're still not following you. Our God is going to win in the end. We're on the winning team. See, if, if we're coming from a victory mindset, the battle is already won, and the next step, which is into the fire, is just another step in his victory. My, uh, my son, he, uh, he played baseball. He plays, this was his second year in Little League. Well, last year was his first year in Little League, and uh, it's one of those things where you always like to see effort. You like to see effort out there, right? The field is so hard for that age. So uh, a particular game, he's standing there, one of these, but he was watching, and the ball goes right by him, and he did one of these. There it goes. You know what I mean? So I said to him afterwards, I, I'm not expecting Cal Ripken, but, you know, just give a little try. I said, uh, what's going on? And he said, oh, Dad, it's okay. It's okay. I'm like, what do you mean it's okay? He goes, I talked to the coach, and he said, as long as we're on the team at the end, everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> so... It's a, it's a funny, it's a weird example to use, but be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. It, it doesn't matter what we do. We all get trophies in the end if we're on his team. And he's, his team will always win. They had constant perseverance which build character. When you constantly do the same thing, it, it builds who you are. Any, do I have any golfers? Anybody golf? Anybody? Anybody? All right, there we go. Now, now people are getting honest. Limerick, Plymouth, Mating, golfers. I don't golf. I don't, I don't know anything about golf, but I was reading a little bit about it, and I know it's, it's U.S. Open time, so it's a, it's a big day for people who golf and watch golf. Um, but I was reading, and they say, like, when Tiger Woods is practicing, he'll hit up to 1,000 balls a day, 1,000 golf balls a day. That's, you know, that's driving, chipping, putting. That's everything. Vijay Singh, he'll hit, he's known to hit about the most, which is about 1,200 balls a day. And they just keep hitting. I'm sorry, if, I'm, if I offend somebody, it does look like I'm swinging a baseball bat really low. But they just keep hitting, and they keep putting, and they keep hitting, and they keep putting, and they keep driving, and they keep doing everything. And it builds up what they call muscle memory. And here's, so you do something over and over and over and over again, and all of a sudden, when it's five o'clock this afternoon, and you're Jordan Spieth, and you go out there, and it's the 18th hole, and you're even, and you have a putt for birdie, it's just your muscles take over. You go into cruise control. That's what happened with these boys. That's exactly what happened with these boys. See, when you stand looking in the face of evil or in the most stressful situation of your life, when you stand there, your character will always show it. And what you have done is what you will do. That's why we need to prepare diligently. And that's what these guys did. So, so they, were, they were ready. They were ready for what was coming. It, it, into the fire. See, let's, the strength in the fire is hope. It's hope. So Daniel 3.24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Certainly, yep, 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 yep. His minions are just nodding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of God's. There's arguments all the time. People say, God sent an angel. God did this. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe when, when Nebuchadnezzar said, it's the son of God's, I, I believe it was Jesus. I, I just think, I think those words were put in his mouth. And like I said, I've seen too much in this world to believe that there's, there's a coincidence. I think, I think you did. You have too. 
It's just coincidences are few. Now, I want to talk to you about the fire. And I want to tell you, I hate church. I hate Limerick. I hate Plymouth Meeting. I hate. I hate the fire. I hate everything about it. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, you know, uh, fire purifies gold, and that's the way metals get pure is through the fire, and, you know, burns away the weeds, and, and how about suffering? You know, suffering's a gift. I'm not going to tell you that, church, because if you're in the fire right now, you don't need to hear it. You don't, you don't need to hear it. See, just because I stand up here, it doesn't make me immune this is, this is a, a pretty tough day. See, this past fall, I lost my father-in-law from cancer. And this is the first Father's Day without him. And four months before that, I buried my wife's grandmother. And a year before that, we buried her 36-year-old sister and mother, wife wife. And uh, three years before that, I lost my job when my company filed chapter 11. And uh, when you're a single income family, your income is now zero. It's zero. And eight years before that, my first marriage fell apart. I'm not whining to you. I know some of your stories. They're so much harder. They're so much harder. But what I am trying to tell you, and I'm not lecturing to you, I am trying to find this somehow, just like you are. I am trying to understand. I'm trying to answer the same questions, and I'm trying to find this somehow. Something I read that gave me so much strength. A ship is safe in harbor, but that is not what ships are for. A ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are for. See, you can be all tied up and you can be safe, and a ship can sit there and it can be pretty, and it's going to rust, and it's going to decay, and it's going to sink, and it's going to be gone. It was created to leave safety, sail across the oceans, endure the storms, go to new places, see new things, pick up goods, deliver goods, fight battles. Ships were created to do all kinds of things. And they were all created for something. But what every one of them was meant to do was leave safety. And it was meant to leave into unknown waters. See, at the beginning of time, in the book of Genesis, God tells us he created man. He created us in his image. And he created us to rule. And that means that he created us in victory because he is victory. So he created us with that strength. We are vessels made to function in this world. We may not like it, but we're meant to go through the fires of this world, church. We're meant to go through these fires. The greatest thing is that he's not sent us alone. He's given us hope. And just like these three boys that sit there, given us the hope of Jesus. That no matter what is there, Jesus is there. He's the hope. See, man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, 
eight minutes without air, but man can't live a second. Man can't live a second without hope. Jesus tells us, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. There's the hope, church. There is a God that has been with you since you existed who has promised to never leave or forsake you. And no matter what you encounter with him, you are made to overcome every fire that you ever faced, you are currently facing, or will ever face. I love, it's Father's Day, so I got a father's story. I love fishing with my dad. And we mostly fish down in Jersey. And uh, our, our biggest thing to fish for is flounder. I don't know if any of you know, have been flounder fishing. but uh, So we go down, and the biggest day, we used to catch anything, anytime, whenever. And uh, I guess that's why they have seasons now, maybe, because we did that. But uh, the biggest day now is, uh, is opening a flounder, which is this year was Friday before Memorial Day. And here's what I know about that day. If I hop in my car, I drive down there, I hop in my father's boat, and I take his boat out. I, A, I have no idea if it's running, and B, I have no idea where to fish. I don't know where the fish are. But when I call up my dad, and I say to him, I say, hey, hey, Pop, could you go down fishing? He says, sure. Here's what I know when I get down there. I know the boat will run. And I know we're going to have a good day of fishing. I know we will catch fish. He'll be humble and tell you he never knows, but he does. And, uh, and here's the thing. I didn't do anything. It's nothing I did. It isn't a thing that I did. See, my father took the boat out at least a week ahead of time. He knows it runs. And he fished. And he knows where the fish are. Likewise, our Heavenly Father... He knows. He knows that you can run. He knows that you can run through it. And not just run through it, not just survive this world, not just survive this world, but he knows you can thrive. He knows you can succeed in anything with him. Out of the fire. Out of the fire is understanding our strength. Understanding strength. And unfortunately, I don't know how many of us get out of the fires. A lot of us just, we cook in them for a long, long time. Let's see what I, see. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. And they got out. Doesn't that seem unfair? If I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sitting in front of Jesus, who is God, fully God and fully man, I'm saying, thousand angels, swords, we're going to lay all these guys down. We're going to go, we're going to slaughter them all. We're going to march everybody back to Jerusalem, build the wall. We're going to take them all out. Right, Jesus? You with us? Or I'm saying, hey, how about a trap door out the back of this? You fly us back to Jerusalem, snap your fingers, everything's undone. You good, Jesus? Can we do that, Jesus? But he doesn't. What happens to these boys? They step out, and they go right back into slavery. Sure, they got a promotion. It's great. So you're, you're a better slave, I guess. They step right out into the same place they were. See, they're not strong. God's strong. 
And I think they realize that. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, the truth somehow, it, it, it's not in us, church. It's not in us, Limerick. Our true strength is Him. And, and this is where, you know, people, people meet Jesus in the fire. And they don't build that bond. And then the next fire, and the next fire, and the next fire, and the next fire. And they think, I should have the strength. You don't have the strength. You don't have the strength. He does. I watched a, a bunch of videos this past week. Talk about depressing. It, it was depressing. <laughs> in a, in a, but I watched a bunch of, of videos about people who were, who were terminal. They, they had terminal diseases or they had horrible things happen in their lives. And I thought about my father-in-law too in his, his last days. And the people who knew Christ. And they were so, so weak. They were so weak. And they could smile. And, and they had his strength. They knew where the strength was. It's his. It's his strength. They stopped focusing. They stopped focusing on the why, 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 why. I don't know why, church. No one knows why. And they focused on the somehow. The somehow is the strength. If we could all stand. Rise, Plymouth meeting. Limerick, stand. Bow your heads and close your eyes. If you, don't, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to understand something about this story. I want you to understand Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, how'd they go into the fire? How did these boys go into the fire? They were bound by the strongest things that Babylon had. They were bound by the strongest men that Babylon had. And who, who were the only people to die in the fire? The strongest that Babylon had. They perished before they even fell into the fire. Church, what, what was the only thing that burnt? These guys were up walking around and they were bound. The chains they bound them up with were the only things that burnt in the fire. In the presence of Jesus, all chains can fall. They can all fall. They could all be burned up. And the greatest thing was, if you read the, the end of the story, it says, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire. Not even a hint that they were in the fire. Not even a hint that they were in the fire. I don't know where you are in your life, but I know this. I know that Jesus Christ knows your real name. Whatever this world has named you, he knows your real name. And if you're in the fire, he knows you. If you're out of the fire, he can be your strength. Church, if you don't know Jesus, here's what I know. I know that you have past things that have happened that have built shame. You have present pain and you have future fear. 
please take this, this chance today. I, I remember a time when I was so crippled by fear, so crippled. I, I, knew, I knew God. I knew how powerful God was, but did I have a relationship? I, no. And then I was in the fire, and it broke me, and I couldn't move. And there I saw his face. And then everything was gone. Friends, if you don't know Jesus, now's your time. Now, now's the time. You can, you can lose all the chains, all the chains of this world, everything that binds you, Limerick, Plymouth meeting, everything that binds you, you can lose all the chains. The Bible tells us if we confess his name and ask him to forgive our sins, then we have eternal life we have salvation that our chains are gone and he has set us free church don't miss this now if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him make him your Lord and Savior just put your hand up put your hand up now raise your hand church don't miss this opportunity in Limerick Plymouth meeting Lord thank you for a friend said that are accepting you, Lord. Please, you are. You came to this earth to release us of this bind. These chains, Lord, thank you for taking them away. Thank you, Lord. Please come into our heart. Rule our heart. Rule our lives, Lord. We love you, Lord. Friends, I don't know where you're at, and I don't know why you're there, but I know that somehow. And if you're struggling today, I just want you to know I'm, I'm praying with you. The church is praying with you. Your Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Lord, thank you that you are stronger than anything and everything in this world, Lord. Lord, you will never leave us. You never have. You're always there. Lord, there is no greater fan that we have. And you created us with strength to overcome everything through you, with you, Lord, with Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your strength, Lord. Please let it strengthen us. Let your love strengthen us. And help us to not keep it, Lord, for we see the evil in this world. We see the evil in this Babylon. And we need a Savior. And we need to show that love to everyone, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for being the Father amongst all fathers, always wanting more for us. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. All right, church.